Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Truth is New Hate, and this will be on the Resurgence Media Network, the network that emphasizes priority discipline. Now, an equinox is an astronomical event in which the plane of the Earth's equator passes through the center of the sun. And there's two of them every year, one in March and one in September. Uh, the equinoxes, on the equinoxes, the sun shines directly on the equator, and the length of the day and the night are basically equal. Not quite, but pr pretty, pretty close. Now, in the March equinox, that marks the moment the sun crosses the celestial equator. And that's an imaginary line in the sky above the Earth's equator. And that goes from uh, south to north and vice versa in September. The vernal, what they call the vernal, which is spring equinox in the northern hemisphere, is the uh, autumnal fall equinox in the southern hemisphere and vice versa. It happens normally around the 20th of March and 23rd of September. For this year in 2016, it occurred... Two weeks, about two weeks ago, Sunday, March 20th, 4.30 a.m. I'm not sure how that is explained on the flat earth yellow short bus ride to the swim at the shallow end of the gene pool. Anyway, in the northern hemisphere, the vernal spring equinox marks the first day of the astronomical spring. There's another more common definition of when the seasons start, namely the meteorological definitions, which are based on average temperatures rather than astronomical events. Now the spring, spring the season after winter and before summer in which as the weather warms, vegetation begins to appear in the northern hemisphere from March to May and in the southern hemisphere from September to November. It is now springtime in Europe or as the weather warms, the start of the low IQ third world invasion or in political correct terms, migration, better known to beta male feminists and newsroom verbiage, asylum seekers, begins to appear. What the hell is happening and why is it happening to our cousins in our ancient homelands in Europe? It is key to understanding what seems to be a passive attitude of our European brothers and sisters towards their own destruction by their own hand. It is key to understanding the importance of the emergence of Donald Trump, his nationalism, its effects, and all his perceived faults. The most important thing to understand is why these so-called trade deals are really trader deals that lead to not just job loss, but ultimately the loss of your nation's sovereignty in spite of its constitution. Now, I, too, echo the merits of free trade, only if it's smart trade that we benefit from, not stupid trade that ultimately re results in the loss of our country and freedom. Now, as the spring equinox drew closer, 
I noticed uh, as I was re- going through the web and reading headline announcement of this season's warnings. One headline I read on uh, February 13th, 2016, it was entitled, The Next Immigration Crisis. Uh, no, immigration, yeah. Two and a half million Syrian refugees have already arrived and almost as many are expected. How can Turkey cope? Yeah, the next immigration crisis, then they talk about uh, refugees. Uh, okay, so anyway, we'll delve into this. Now it says here, Turkey's Aegean coastline is now filled with people, smugglers offering passage to Europe, selling the dream of a new life in a Germany or Scandinavia. The, jur- the journey can cost anything from 800 to 6,000 euros, depending on demand. The trafficking trade is now a multi-billion dollar euro business. Far from all of them are were Syrian. They comprise roughly half the newcomers, with Afghans and Iraqis making up much of the rest. But now that Syria is now the world's highest refugee generator, and things are getting worse, what should a panicking EU do? Question mark. So far, the answer has been to bribe Turkey to make the refugees stay where they are. Some 3 billion euros of EU funds, which is taxpayer money, has been pledged to Turkey with more to come. Brussels has also dangled the enticing prospect for its citizens. Slowly, the EU seems to be realizing that the surest way to stop migrants dying in unseaworthy boats is to adopt similar measures to those used by Tony Abbott the former prime minister, the former Australian prime minister, turn back the boats and deport them, deport those who land illegally. The Australians paid Malaysia to handle the migrant problem. The, the EU is paying Turkey more than 4 billion euros over the next three years to contain 2.5 million refugees. Yeah, so they got to get a circuit. You know why? Because they got no balls, right? So they can say, "Oh, we're not doing it." You know, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, it goes on because they can't do it. Turkey's got to do it. So now they're desperate. The problem, however, is that Turkey is being offered more than money. The EU, in its desperation, yeah, desperation because they got no balls, says that within a few months it'll offer Turkey seventy-seven million citizens. Visa-free travel to the Schengen Zone, which allows them to travel to any of its 28 member states without the need of a visa. Worse, now even worse, it will fast-track Turkey's application to become a full member of the EU, the European Union. Since when is Turkey European? So, how did we get here? Let's track the beast back to the nest it spawned from. I'm not going to bore you with external events such as the rise of political Islam or the aftermath of World War I, Greece's attempt at taking back the Anatolia, World War II, the Cold War, the Central Treaty Organization, Cento, originally known as the Baghdad Pact, 
the Bush Wars and the plethora of factors used to explain victimhood. Because the world has always been full of external events and they can make or break nations of weak-ass men. When we sit back and let the politicians run our country, when we, as men, sit and watch instead of getting involved for a myriad of excuses, this is the result. And we can blame those traitors as misguided fools all we want. But really, guys, who is the bigger fool? Would you trust a fool to operate on you? Well, why the hell are we letting fools operate our nations? Okay, two days prior, on February 11th, 2016, I read, More bad news for Europe. Greek debt is back on the agenda. With a headline, New Greek bailout, same as the old Greek bailout. Then it says, six months after receiving a third make-or-break bailout, Greece is again veering off course, sparking concerns among creditors that Athens is reverting to the bait-and-switch tactics that took the country to the brink last summer. And then two weeks prior, on the 25th of January, 2016, with a headline of EU migration crisis, Greece threatened with Shenzhen area expulsion. And then it says the country's bearing the brunt of the 1 million plus arrivals in the past year rounded on Athens with Austria warning that it could be kicked out at least temporary of the Schengen area embracing 26 countries. Germany and Sweden echoed the criticism between them. The three countries have taken in about 90% of the asylum seekers over the past year but are now clamping down on their liberal admission policies. Gee, I wonder why. I think maybe Trump had something to do with that. Anyway, Johanna Mickey Leitner, the Austrian interior minister, rejected Greeks' arguments about the difficulties of patrolling its maritime borders with Turkey and explicitly warned Athens about the Schengen expulsion. Greece, quote, Greece has one of the biggest navies in Europe, she said. Yeah, that's one of your problems with these she, too many she's in this leadership. Quote, it's a myth that the Greek-Turkish border cannot be protected. Thomas de Medzeria, the German interior minister, said, quote, we will put influence on Greece. About 35,000 made a sea crossing from Turkey to Greece since the beginning of the year, a 20-fold increase on the same period last year. So what is the Shenagin area? Hello and welcome to our video on Schengen visas to enter Europe. The Schengen Agreement basically consists of two agreements concluded among European states to abolish border controls among the participating countries. The Schengen visa makes your travel in Europe easier if you require a visa in Europe. Please note that many nationalities such as U.S. citizens, Canadian citizens and Mexican citizens can travel to Europe without applying for a visa in advance. If you do travel without a visa, please note that you may not stay longer than three months every half year. And you're not allowed to work, that is, the type of work that requires a work permit. Of course, a business trip is permissible. But if you are, for example, from China, India or South Africa, then you do need a visa. 
You need a visa even if you live in the United States with a work visa, such as the H-1B or a United States green card. Currently, the following countries participate in the Schengen program. Austria, Belgium, the Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Malta, the Netherlands, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain and Sweden, not the United Kingdom and Ireland. Depending on your travel plans in Europe, you may still need another visa if you're planning to visit another country that is not part of the Schengen Agreement. Gee, what could go wrong? So the Schengen area is an area comprising of 26 countries that have all abolished passport and other type of border control at the common borders, also referred to as internal borders. Mostly functions as a single country for international travel purposes with a common visa policy. In other words, no borders, no sovereignty. Now in post-NAFTA America, we look at that and we think, did the Europeans wake up one morning and just lose their damn minds? This, this did not come out of thin air. So let's go into a little background of this and uh, it's going to be quite lengthy, and uh, I don't want you guys to get gazed over the eyes, but just so we have an understanding of, you know, basically of what happened, and it shows you uh, how, you know, letting these politicians blindly run, you know, blind to them running your country, what results in it, especially when, you know, they're leftist Marxists. Okay, so, you know, it shows you when you let, you know, release your responsibility and how these termites work over a long term, step by step, slow process to get what they want. Okay, and, uh, you know, we, you know, we can bash them all we want, but, you know, they work hard. And, uh, you know, think of it this this way. <clears throat> a lot of these suckers start as, I'd say, as early as high school age. You know, they're indoctrinated. You know, they come from these families and they're, you know, they're already into these, you know, meetings and political organizations and already they're influencing their peers. They go from there into uh, college and uh, and then they get into either you know the diplomatic scene or some type of government agency sometimes into even uh, a lot of these uh, NGOs and uh, foundations and you know there's all kinds of all kinds of places for them to go into and uh, you know they're not busting their ass like the regular guy so you know you got to look at uh, their uh, they're in it for a long term. Okay, you look at why they work long term. Well, look at the life expectancy. Look at the expectancy of their career into this. You know, uh, take the age of fourteen to say sixty-four. That's fifty years. Okay, so they're working at it for fifty years. That's all they know. That's all they know how to do. 
that's you know to accomplish their goal and uh, you know they continually go on continually go on what is the average guy you know he might have right now in America basically it's a, a four year cycle of a presidential election you know some more in tune people you know then you get into the state level and uh, even less in the local area in the local level okay and uh, so in that vacuum they rush in like you know uh, cockroaches to uh, sugar you know and uh, they work hard they work hard they're not stupid they're smart they use all the tricks and uh, they make these non-binding contracts okay that uh, eventually uh, they pass into law and uh, and then you have the then you're stuck with that can't fight city hall bullshit attitude right well yes you can you can by taking over friggin city hall simple as that so anyway so I'll bore you or not bore you with some of these details. I'll go through them as fast as I can, try to hit the main points, and uh, just so we have an understanding of uh, how this all came about and how it's been a long-term process and a continually long-term process, and it's not going to stop until we stop them. Okay. Well, let me make a correction there. I said contracts. I meant uh, treaties and agreements, you know. As if we're agreeing to this bullshit. No, it's them. So the core of the the core part of the original Treaty of Rome, from the early days of the European Economic Community, the Treaty of Rome, 1957. On the 25th of March, 1957, two treaties were signed in Rome that gave birth to the European Economic Community, the EEC, and the European Atomic Energy Community. Treaties, treaties of Rome is what they call it. The signatories of the historic agreement were uh, from France, from the Netherlands, from Belgium, from Luxembourg, from Italy, and the, and the Federal, Federal Republic of Germany. And the treaties were ratified by national parliaments over the following months and came into force the 1st of January, 1958. Now, what they did is the treaties established the European Economic Community affirmed in its preamble that the signatory states were, quote, determined to lay the foundations of an ever closer union among the peoples of Europe. Sounds good. In this way, the member states specifically affirmed the political objective of a progressive political integration. Okay, it sounds good, but that's what it does. To sum up, a process put in motion in which progressive economic integration was paving the way to the long-term objective, the political union. Because everything's long-term with these guys. They basically put up a trading block with heavy heavy tariff protectionism for short-term economic gain to sell to the public. Then they slowly but gradually worked on an integration that eroded each state's sovereignty in exchange for perceived economic benefit and security in the form of a massive welfare state. 
Isn't that what they're trying to do with the North, North, uh, North American Union? Then came the first stage of the Schengen Agreement, a treaty which led to the creation of Europe's borderless Schengen area. Okay, and that started in 1985, and at first only five of the ten member states, Belgium, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and West Germany, you know, the most liberal, right, signed an agreement on the gradual ab abolition of common border controls, and the Schengen area was established separately, separately from the European community when consensus could not be reached among all ECU member states on the abolition of border controls. So they couldn't get it. They couldn't get everybody to agree. So those Marxist leftists remained busy beavers while the average European enamored with the, social, the new social services of its ever-expanding centralized welfare state with goods and travel abroad and left the politics to the politicians. Then came the fall of the wall on November the 9th, 1989, and many less affluent Europeans from the north, south, and east are now pressing face first against the glass house of the European economic community, and they want it in. In 1990, the agreement was supplemented by the Schengen Convention, which proposed the abolition of internal border controls and a common visa policy. The word economic was deleted from the Treaty of Rome, name of European Economic Community, by the Maastricht Treaty in 1992. From 1990 to 1996, the Schengen Paper captured 10 additional European nations. The Treaty of Nice was signed by European leaders in 20, uh, 26 February 2001, that amended the Maastricht Treaty establishing the European community by reforming the institutional structure of the European Union to withstand eastward expansion. In 2004, the treaty establishing the Constitution for Europe was rejected in French and Dutch referendums by the voters that brought the ratification process to an end after the French and Dutch referendum results, European leaders decided to hold a period of reflection on what to do next. As part of this reflection period, a group of wise men was set up to consider possible courses of action. What did they do? They came up with the mini-treaty idea. And the mini-treaty idea had found favor in some quarters because it could get around a major political stumbling block and that it may only need to be approved by a national parliament sidestepping unpredictable French voters. The Treaty of Lisbon, initially known as the Referendum Treaty, is an international agreement which amends the two treaties which formed the constitutional basis of the European Union, the EU. The Treaty of Lisbon was signed by the EU member states on 13 December 2007. Merry Christmas. <clears throat> the process which led to the ratification of the Lisbon Treaty was brought, has brought considerable political cost. Following the no vote in the French and Duff, Dutch referendums, the constitutional the constitutional treaty, time for reflection had come, and this is what they did. 
The result was a formation of the Lisbon Treaty, which also faced significant political hurdles, but was finally ratified by all states shortly after a successful referendum in successful second recommend referendum in Ireland. At first, they uh, said, "No, no friggin' way, man." Anyway, although the Reform Treaty was not very different from the treaty establishing the Constitution for Europe, so they did a bait and switch. And states did not use the referendum anymore. Instead, the par the states that did not use the referendum anymore, instead, the parliamentary consent was used as a way of the ratification. The only exception due to the constitutional requirement was that was the one in Ireland, okay, which, like I said, first rejected it at, by the popular vote until they did a bait and switch, said, uh, we're going to make these changes, and then the changes never showed up in the final treaty. So, and, uh, and the reason Ireland had to do that was because, uh, you know, uh, well, there's apprehensions about, you know, this main European citizenship, loss of sovereignty and all this kind of shit, but uh, because of their constitution, that's what had to be done, and it clearly showed the deepening of the European integration is elite-driven. Meanwhile, the never-ending Shenanigan area, countries' list just kept on expanding. The Shenanigan area would now go on to capture a total of 28 European countries, including four which are not members of the now 28 countries, swallowed by the swollen economic and political spider known as the European Union, the EU. Now, warfare, this is known as a pincer movement. The pincer movement, or double envelope, is a military maneuver in which forces simultaneously attack both flanks of an enemy formation. The name comes from visualizing the action as, a, as the split attacking forces pinching the enemy. The attacking pinchers link up in the enemy's rear, the enemy's encircle. Such battles often end up in a battle of annihilation, although the encircled force can attempt a breakout, either by attacking the encirclement from inside or by having an external force attack from the outside with the hopes of holding up an escape route for the encircled force. In this conversation, that inside force would be known as nationalism. The external force would be Euro Eurocentrism. Eurocentrism is a worldview centered on Western civilization built and maintained by European culture. Annihilation would be a e an EU citizenship regardless of ethnicity. Now, EU citizenship as a direct concept was first introduced by the Maastricht Treaty. It established a supranational super union, which is a type of multinational political union, which when, negotiate, which when negotiated power is delegated to an authority by governments of member member states, so they're giving away their authority. This is and this is what we do on this fast tracking and all this kind of nonsense there, and uh, with the TPP and all this kind of nonsense. Same sort of concept. The concept of super a national union is sometimes used to describe the European Union as a new type of political entity. 
And this is what these trade deals are going to do with us because if you read in the TPP, which already is in NAFTA, I mean, you know, you can have a law, environmental law, and, you know, and this has happened many, many times, and uh, some company says, uh, you know, that, that you, know, we, you know, we're allowed to do that here, but they're not allowing us to do that there, and they've done that with lead in the gas, okay? And uh, I think Canada had to pay a U.S. company when they uh, eliminated uh, lead in the gas, and uh, they successfully sued Canada, which means the taxpayers, for millions of dollars of profit that they would have that they lost, they claimed they lost. So the EU is the only entity which provides for international popular elections, going beyond the level the level of political integration normally afforded by international treaty. Historically, the main benefit of being a citizen of an EU state has been that of free movement. However, the treaty provisions were interpreted by the European Court of Justice because, you know, with this new entity, political entity, now, now, now they get a new justice system, okay? And they said that uh, they interpreted it as not having a narrow economic purpose, but rather a wider social and economic purpose. EU citizenship... Certain political rights came into being. Oh, so, so new new political rights are, are, are you know, coming from, from this entity all of a sudden here. The Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union provides for citizens to be directly represented at the Union level in the European Parliament and to participate in the democratic life of the Union. Political rights, voting in European unions, right to vote and stand in elections to the European Parliament in any EU member state, and that's in Article 22. Voting in municipal elections, a right to vote and stand in local elections in, a, in an EU state other than their own, under the same conditional conditions as the nationals of that state. That's also in Article 22. Right to free movement and residence. A right of free movement and residence throughout the Union and the right to work in any position, including national civil services with the exception of those posts in the public sector that involve the exercise of powers conferred by public law and the safeguard of general interests of the safety or local authorities, Article 21, for which, however, there is no single definition. <laughs> so, you know, in other words, they can do what they want. They can define it the way they want. Freedom from discrimination on nationality, a right not to be discriminated against on grounds of nationality within the scope of application of the treaty, Article 18. And then they've got rights abroad, rights to the consular protection, a right to protection by the diplomatic or consular authorities of other member states when a non-EU member when in a non-EU member state. If, if, in other words, you know the whole European Union comes down on your ass. 
If there are no diplomatic or consular authorities from the citizen's own state, as stated in Article 23, and they say this is due to the fact that not all member states maintain embassies in every country in the world. Right now, 15 countries have only... Right now, 15 countries have only one embassy from an EU state. Wow. Now, I understand that is a lot, but I hope it demonstrates the jackhammer that has been applied to the sovereignty of the European states by the political elite. If you take anything from it, it has made nationalism an act of terror against a centralized beast known as the EU. Note the concentrated effort to subvert local control, allowing a right to vote and stand in local elections in an EU state other than their own under the same conditions of the nationals at that state, i.e. country, i.e. nation. As of 2013, the EU has thrust its hungry jaws towards the Balkans, grabbing Croatia. Then there are the OCTS, Overseas Countries and Territories Provisions. The Overseas Countries and Territories, OCT, are dependent territories that have a special relationship with one of the member states of the EU and have been explicitly invited by the EU Treaty to join the EU OCT Association, OCTA. The relationship between the EU and the OTCs is based on EU law not on the constitutional law of a member state. For instance, St. Pierre Maglon, which sits off the coast of Newfoundland, Canada, was previously an overseas department under French constitutional law, but has always been considered an OCT under EU law. And their nationals are in principle EU citizens. When the Rome Treaty was signed in March 1957, a total of 15 OCTSs existed. French West Africa, French Equatorial Africa, St. Pierre Maglen, Comoros Archipelago, French Madagascar, French Somaliland, New Caledonia, French Polynesia, French Southern and Ar Antarctic lands, French Togoland, French Cameroons, Belgian Congo, Rwanda, Urundi, Trust Territory of Somalia, Netherlands New, Netherlands New Guinea. The list has since then been revised multiple times and comprised as voted by the Lisbon Treaty 25 OCTs in 2007. This means the list can change at the whim of the EU. As of July 2014, there are still 25 OCTSs, 12 with the United Kingdom, 6 with France, 6 with the Netherlands, and 1 with Denmark, of which 22 have joined this OCTA. Currently, accession negotiations are underway with several states. The process of enlargement is sometimes referred to as European integration. Again, we can blame those traitors as misguided fools all we want but really guys who's the bigger fool would you trust a fool to operate on you well why the hell are you letting fools operate our nations during the 2016 new year's eve celebrations hundreds of sexual assaults including groping numerous thefts 
and at least five rapes were reported in Germany, mainly in Cologne City Center. Similar incidents were also reported in Hamburg, Frankfurt, Dortmund, Dusseldorf, Stuttgart, and Bielefeld. All of the incidents involved women being surrounded and assaulted by groups of men on the street. There are more than 1,900 victims, and it is reported that up to 1,000 men may have been involved in Cologne, acting in groups in several dozen. Police reported that the perpetrators were of Arab or North African appearance and called it a completely new dimension of crime. So how did the left respond? Well, at the Cologne Carnival, 4th of January through the 9th of, uh, 4th of February through the 9th of February 26, a float featured an enormous bust of Republican president candidate Donald Trump, complete with a black guy to represent his recent loss at the Iowa caucus and being mocked by the Statue of Liberty. Now what does Donald Trump have to do with all this? This could be the great Trojan horse of all time. Because you look at the migration, study it, look at it. Now they'll start infiltrating with women and children. But you look at that migration, and I'm looking at it, and I'm the first one to bring it up. Three weeks ago, I'm sitting, I'm saying, isn't that a shame? Isn't and then I said to myself, wow, they're all men. And then you look at what five or six people did in Paris, and we have to get smart. Shall I read you the statement? Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. Mr. Trump stated Without looking at the various polling data, it's obvious to anybody the hatred is beyond comprehension of such a big portion. Where the hatred comes from and why, we will have to determine. We're going to have to figure it out. We have to figure it out. We can't live like this. It's going to get worse and worse. You're going to have more World Trade Centers. It's going to get worse and worse, folks. We can be politically correct and we can be stupid, but it's going to get worse and worse. Folks, those days are over. Those days are over. We have to be tough. We have to be smart. We have to be vigilant. Yes, we have to look at mosques and we have to respect mosques. But yes, we have to look at mosques. We have no choice. We have to see what's happening because something is happening in there Man, there's anger. There's anger. And we have to know about it. We can't be these people that are sitting back like, like in the World Trade Center, like so many different things. We can't be people that knew what was going on two weeks ago in California. Probably for months they knew what was going on, and they didn't want to tell anybody. We can't be that. We have to be strong. When we see violations, you have to report those violations, and quickly. You, don't worry about profiling. I promise I will defend you from profiling. I promise. I happen to be a smart person. I bring people together. Or you couldn't build a great company you like that. You don't think you've alienated people? I mean, come on. You don't think no, you've no. alienated people? But ultimately, people? I bring them together. And I'll tell you what. I tell the truth. 
whether it was with respect to the Muslims. Hey, Maria, there's something going on. And we have a president that doesn't want to even talk about radical Islamic terrorism. I bring people together. I've had Muslims call me up and say thank you because they need dialogue. I bring people together. Obama has been the great divider. To, to Look, be fair on the Muslim comment, I mean, we do admit 100,000 Muslims on a permanent basis here every year, and this is going to be the lar or is already the largest religion in the world. Can you really say, let's do a temporary halt? There's something going on, Maria. Go to Brussels, go to Paris, go to different places. There's something going on, and it's not good where they want Sharia law, where they want this, where they want things that, you know, there has to be some assimilation. There is no assimilation. There's something bad going on. And until we find out what it is so we can correct it, you go to Brussels. I was in Brussels a long time ago, 20 years ago. So beautiful, everything's so beautiful. It's like living in a hellhole right now. You go to these different places, there's something going on. Obviously, I should have been picked as the person of the year, right? Do you agree? I think the reason, the, the reason, yeah, maybe next year. Hey, next year would be even better, because then we'll prove that we can do things. But they didn't, and they picked Angela Merkel, who was, I mean, do you see what's going on? And we talk about immigration. We talk about borders. Do you see what she's done to Germany? Just coming over, just before this morning, I'm watching television, the rapes, the riots, the what, what's happening is unbelievable. It's unbelievable, unthinkable. Hundreds and hundreds of rapes on New Year's Eve. They, they never, they, they, Germany, they have a problem. She went off the reservation. I don't know what happened to her. She was doing well. Maybe she got power hungry. Maybe she thought she was invincible. They're taking people. The crime is astronomical. It's not working. They're having riots now in the street, and the German people are saying, we've had it. We've had it. Out, 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 out. Get out of here. He's got, he's got a lot of, yeah. He says he loves me. Out. So I'm nursing a New Year's Eve hangover, and I read on January 1st, 2016, Europe braces for new waves of migrants in 2016. The problem, Ionis Mazzolis, beleaguered Greece's minister responsible for immigration issues, said, is happening in Greece, but it is a European problem, and the solution must be a European one. Nearly all new arrivals and aiming for wealthy northern European countries with Germany and Sweden, the favorites, due to the generous welcome they extend. Germany received about 1 million asylum seekers during 2015, and Sweden took in more than 150,000. But what does this got to do? What does Greek debt got to do with this? Well, hold on there. Wasn't it the uh, Greek radical left in cooperation with Turkey who unleashed the migrant invasion? Back in September 6, 2015, I read, refugee flow linked to Turkish policy shift reported. And in there it says, a sharp increase in the influx of migrants and refugees 
mostly from Syria into Greece is due in part to a shift in Turkey's geopolitical tactics, according to a diplomatic sources. Geopolitical. <clears throat> Gee, wonder what that could be. Maybe getting the EU. These officials link the wave of migrants into the eastern Aegean to political pressures in neighboring Turkey, which, which is bracing for snap elections in November, and to a recent decision by <clears throat> excuse me, Ankara to join the U.S. in bombing Islamic State targets in Syria. The analysts of several officials indicate that the influx from neighboring Turkey is taking place as Turkish officials look the other way or actively promote the exodus. Turkey is, quote, Turkey is facilitating or at least not hampering the movement of illegal immigrants toward Greece, thinking that this is a way it will limit the risk of possible new terrorist attacks on its territory as a reprisal for the military action it has carried out on Syrian soil, the official said. The final solution, since 2011, the United Nations, NATO, the United States, and its regional allies have sought the toppling of the Syrian government through direct military intervention, just as it had done in Libya. Sounds like Hillary's involved here. The justi justification for such action has shifted multiple times over the past four to five years, from a no-fly zone created under the so-called Responsibility to Protect Doctrine used in Libya, supporting pro-democracy freedom fighters to disarming Syria of its chemical weapons after a staged chemical attack near Damascus, to a year-long fictitious war waged on the so-called Islamic State, ISIS, to stopping barrel bombs and chlorine gas attacks, to now clearing a safe zone Europe can send all the refugees back to. And on March 2015, in an article that said, Greece's defense minister threatens to send migrants, including jihadists, to Western Europe. Panos Kamanos, Greece's defense minister, threatens to open countries' borders to refugees, including potential members of Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, ISIL, unless Athens receives unless Athens receives debt crisis support. The threat came after Greece struggled to convince the Eurozone and International Monetary Fund to steal from hardworking European Germans in particular to continue payments on a 172 billion euro bailout of Greek finances. Panos Kamenos, the Greek defense minister, warned that if the Eurozone allowed Greece to go bust, it would give EU travel papers to illegal immigrants crossing its borders or to the 10,000 currently held in detention centers. It is clear that huge torrents of refugees and migrants are being in, in, intentionally brought into Europe to augment an already very real migrant crisis. Evidence suggests that the latest influx of refugees is more than a mere predictable consequences of destroying entire regions of the planet with war and state-sponsored terrorism. In Turkey, where the U.S., EU, and Ankara itself had inexplicably 
invested billions of dollars in the construction of refugee camps of unprecedented scale. Reports indicate that the torrents of refuse, refugees have been intentionally organized and sent onward to Europe. Previous before there, they augmented it on September 6, 2015. Quote, refugee flow linked to Turkish policy shift. And in it, it states, NATO hopes that the mess they have created is so convincing that the people of Europe and North America eventually beg them to carve up Syria to send the migrants home. Unfortunately for Europe, the migrants are not going home. Worse still, more are on their way, and NATO never planned to stop at Syria, just like it never planned to stop at Libya. Okay, so now we fast forward to the 2nd of February, 2016. And the headline put out is Migrant Crisis to Cost Germany 50 Billion Euro by 2017. Another one, a week later, on February 11th, 2016, ditching Schengen over migrant crisis may cost Europe 18 billion euro. In it, it states that the European Commission says. Going back to internal border controls on a long-term basis is likely to cost 18 billion euros. This is just a direct cost and excludes possible secondary effects. And then we have, on March 16th, 2016, Turkey deal is on is only way to stop migrants arriving in Europe, warns Angela Merkel. Gee, I wonder what put a fire under her ass. Could it be? Or could it have been? Look, Europe's going to have to handle, but they're going to have riots in Germany. What's happening in Germany, I always thought Merkel was like this great leader. What she's done in Germany is insane. It's insane. They're having all sorts of attacks. They're having you mean all letting sorts in of, the Letting the in that many people. What they should do is the country should all get together, including the Gulf states, who have nothing but money. They should all get together, and they should take a big swath of land in Syria, and they should do a safe zone for people so that they could have a set where they could live. And then ultimately, go back to their country, go back to where they came from. Does the U.S. get involved in making that safe? I would, I would help them economically, even though we owe $19 trillion. What I won't do is take in 200,000 Syrians who could be ISIS. John, I've been watching this migration, and I see the people. I mean, they're men. They're mostly men, and they're strong men. These are physically young, strong men. They look like prime-time soldiers. Now, it's probably not true, but where are the women? You see some women, you see some children, but for the most part, I'm looking at these strong men. So you ask two things. Number one, why aren't they fighting for their country? And number two, I don't want these people coming over here. And even on a humanitarian, you know, when I was first asked this question, you asked it to me a long time ago, when they were talking about 3,000 people, I begrudgingly would say, oh, maybe, I don't know. Maybe. Letting them into the United States. A little States. bit. Then they said 10,000. I'm, I'm not thrilled, but maybe 200,000 people. This could be the greatest Trojan horse. This could make the Trojan horse look like peanuts if these people turned out to be a lot of ice. Well, two days later, what do we have? EU-Turkey strike heralded migrant deal, but costs are high. And that was on March 18, 2016. Not to be outdone, though. Uh, back in November, on the 12th of November in 
2015, we read, Europe's 1.8 billion euro fund to tackle migration crisis, not enough, say Africans. European leaders have offered African countries almost 2 billion euro in return for agreeing to the deportation of unwanted migrants from Europe. In their latest attempt to get to grips with the mass movement of people that is destabilizing European politics. A two-day summit on, in Malta in, of more than 60 European and African leaders have ended with agreement on the establishment of a 1.8 billion euro trust fund that could double to 3.6 billion euro earmarked for efforts to tackle the EU's biggest ever migration crisis. But African leaders complain that the amount of money was inadequate and just a start. <laughs> Following two days of fierce negotiations that continued for eight hours until five in the morning on Thursday, the various parties eventually agreed on a compromise package described by participants as, quote, lowest common denominator. Well, let's fast forward to well, just recently, 31 March 2016. 800,000 migrants lie in wait in Libya, ready to break for Europe. In it, it says, a report from Libya claims there are at least 800,000 migrants on the coast waiting for the right moment to cross the sea to Italy and the European Union plans a new summit to prepare for the next potential great wave of migrants. Back in the U.S. So, just to sum up, I would do various things very quickly. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me, and I'll build them very inexpensively. I will build a great, great wall on our southern border, and I will have Mexico pay for that wall. Yeah. Mark my words. Yeah. And Syria, or wherever these people are coming from. And you know what? I have a big heart. I have as big a heart as anybody. A big, big heart. And we should build... We should build in Syria safe zones. We should do it. And we'll get the Gulf states to put up the money. I don't want to put up money anymore. We're putting up enough money. We don't have any money. This country has no money. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I thought I'd tell you this. This was written by a, a fantastic guy and a rock and roller, actually, who, who did something. And it talks about illegal immigration. And just think about this. We don't know who's coming in. We don't know anything about We know something bad is going to happen, okay? Something bad is going to happen. This is like, you know the story of the Trojan horse, right? This could be the ultimate Trojan horse. And don't forget, we have thousands and thousands of people. And did you ever know the migration line? Did you ever see it? They have a lot of young people, young, strong men. I say, where are the women? Where are the children? There are some, but there aren't very many. And I mean, seriously, I, maybe it's not, but this could be the Trojan horse. So I, I thought I'd say this to you. I don't do it often, but it's a sort of thing that was written years ago. And it's very, it's called the snake. Do you like it? So who's heard the snake before? Does anybody want to hear it one more time? Huh? People love it. You know, great art. It's interesting. A friend of mine's a great, great art collector. And 
If you look at the Mona Lisa, right, the Mona Lisa, one of the great paintings, you don't like it that much at the beginning. You really don't. And then you look at it again, well, like it a little bit more again, again. And by the time they reach a certain age, it's, it's like captivating. It's people are just crazed. They can't look at anything else, right? That's called great art. With other paintings, you'll say, oh, I love it, I love it, I love it. And then two weeks later, you don't like it anymore. There is something very special about great stuff. So this is very descriptive, and people like it. And it's a little bit tough, but it's very true. And think of this with allowing people in. We know it's going to be a problem. We know it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a big problem. You're going to have things happening. Look what happened to the two radicalized people in California recently with the 14 people that they killed. They're co-workers. They killed their co-workers out of nowhere. Their co-workers gave them a baby shower. And they had a party for them. And they went in and they killed 14 of them and others badly wounded. You look at Paris, where 130 people were killed and tremendous numbers of people in the hospital. They'll be in hospitals for the rest of their lives and many will die. What are we doing, folks? What are we doing? So this is called the snake. On her way to work one morning, down the path along the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Oh, well, she cried, I'll take you in, and I'll take care of you. Take me in, O oh, tender woman. Take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, O oh, tender woman, sighed the broken snake. She wrapped him up all cozy in a curvature of silk and then laid him by the fireside with honey and some milk. Now she hurried home from work that night. As soon as she arrived, she found that pretty snake. She'd taken, had been revived. Take me in, O oh tender woman. Take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, O oh tender woman, sighed the broken sake. She then clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But if I hadn't brought you in by now, Oh, heavens, oh, heavens, you definitely, you just definitely would have died. Now she stroked his pretty skin, and then she kissed him and held him tight. But instead of saying thank you, that snake gave her a vicious bite. Take me in, oh, tender woman. Take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, oh, tender woman sighed the vicious snake. I saved you, cried the woman, and you've bit me, heavens why. You know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm going to die. Oh, shut up, silly woman, said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. Right? Right? So now we got the UN chiming in here. Okay, just recently, March 30th of March, in the March, 30th of March, 2016, UN chief, world must resettle 480,000 Syrian refugees. The UN Secretary General, Ban Ki moon, called on the international community to resettle some 480,000 Syrian refugees yesterday while calling on world leaders to counter fear-mongering 
over the potential security threat posed by Middle East refugees. Quote, I ask that countries act with solidarity in the name of our shared humanity by pledging new and additional pathways for the admission of Syrian refugees. Yeah, new and additional pathways for admission. Dig that. Mr. Ban told an emergency summit in Geneva organized by the UN Refugee Agency. Jeff Crisp, the former head of the policy development for the uh, Refugee Agency, UNHCR, who was observing the conference, said the demands were clearly a stretch in the current environment, following a year when Europe has received over 1.1 million refugees. Annual resettlement of refugees has run at an average of about 100,000 in recent decades, Mr. Crisp added, about 70% of which have went to the U.S. 70% of 100,000 in recent decades. And then you add, you know, the immigration where they, you know, the family chain and all that kind of stuff there. You wonder how we got swamped. You know, it's more than just coming over that southern border. But even that haven has now become more complex. Quote, since the whole terrorism and Trump thing has blown up, the resettlement is also getting bogged down in terrorism and security issues. The current, in the current environment, these demands are very ambitious. It's a real stretch, he said. Could that be the Trump? Could that be the result of the Trump effect? I'm putting the people on notice that are coming here from Syria as part of this mass migration. That if I win, if I win, they're going back. They're going back. I'm telling you, they're going back. Because you know, military tactics are very interesting. This could be one of the great tactical ploys of all time. A 200,000-man army, maybe. Or if you said 50,000, or 80,000, or 100,000, we got problems. And that could be possible. I don't know that it is, but it could be possible. So they're going back. They're going back. I'm just telling them. So if they come, that's great. And if I lose, I guess they're staying. But if I win, they're going back. And I know a lot of people would say, oh, that's not nice. We can't afford to be nice. We're taking care of the whole world. We're losing our shirts on everything we do. He then went after NATO, questioned the need for it, called it obsolete, and, uh, you know, then he put it to the uh, bread and butter issue, not paying their fair share. Okay. Then he turned his attention to the United Nations, warning that it could meet a f fate similar to NATO under a Trump administration. Now, I would much rather protect Japan because I don't like them arming. But you know what? It's possible that they will and let them take care of themselves here. But probably more likely they'll pay us a lot more money and we won't be losing all of the vast billions and billions and billions of dollars that we're losing right now. Just take a look at NATO. I was so right. And now people, these great experts, they've studied NATO for 30 years and now they're saying, that was a brilliant suggestion. One guy was saying, wow, here's a guy studying NATO and he never thought of it. He said, you know, it is obsolete and we do pay too much. 
They don't even think of it, because they have a natural instinct for this. By the way, United Nations, same thing, smaller numbers. United Nations, believe me. Many other things. Many other things. Where do you ever see the United Nations? I love the United Nations in New York. They're wonderful. Do they ever settle anything? It's just like a political gang. And how do they respond? Well, they got to burn, they got to fly in some broad, some Lebanese broad who was raised in uh, United Kingdom to come and school America on how wrong we are and why we are wrong. Well, off the plane from Europe, uh, CNN's chief international correspondent, Christiane Amanpour, always lovely to share space with you. Um, I just wanted to have you on to talk about all of these different points he goes through mm -hmm. with the New York Times. To me, one of the issues that jumped out, he was asked, you know, when he thought America peaked. Teddy Roosevelt, many, many, Which many, many years ago. more than 100 years ago, right? right? 116. Well, nobody would recognize that vision of America, certainly nobody overseas. Um, America is still the richest, most powerful country in the world with the biggest economy and the biggest military. So nobody recognizes that poor me version of America that Donald Trump, with his, you know, baseball cup, make, make, make America, America great, great again, again um, uh, uses as his, as his platform. In fact, uh, there have been many editorials in the Financial Times and others that say the sky is not falling. America is great. Obviously, every country has its challenges. Obviously, there are economic challenges around the world right now. Obviously, there are major security challenges. But by all intents and purposes, every intelligence and security person you talk to says America is at this precise moment more safe than other nations from this kind of virulent uh, Islamic terrorism. Mostly because by and large America's Muslims are much more integrated and part of the society that they've come here into than Muslims in Europe. Apples First and, and foremost. It's kind of apples and oranges. Although of course you had uh, the San Bernardino. Yes, We've had ISIS issues. But, but you know, you know that was, that, that's not from overseas. That was somebody who, who, who grew up here. But in general people believe it's safer here here than it is, for instance, in Brussels. Um, Donald Trump, as is his wont, because he's a businessman, speaks entirely in dollars and cents. So if you read very closely those pages of transcript from the New York Times, which, by the way, he did yet again over the phone, it's kind of odd doing these big interviews and these big over the doctrine phone. interviews over the phone. You've got to get a sense of, you know, the measure of the person, look into their eyes, be able to push them, continue to sort of, you know, push these issues. Uh, it's his issues. advantage to pick up yeah, the phone, Yeah, and the so way. you have a lot of, you know, many people talk about his sort of distracted nature where he jumps from one point to another and goes back and always comes back to the dollars and cents. So America's broke, therefore America's weak. These are not true, right? So everybody else has to, has to pony up. This is a businessman's view of the world, presumably. But it doesn't make sense when he talks about, for instance, NATO. NATO is not obsolete. Yes, NATO was created 60 plus years ago uh, in, in response to the Soviet threat. But still, NATO is the organizing principle by which American and the Western democracies' security uh, is taken care of. And NATO is not just about the United States putting money in. It's about all the other countries putting in their 2% of GDP as well. 
well. Now, they don't all, that's true, and the America wants them all to put more than they do right now. But a good number, nearly half of the NATO countries, put their 2% of GDP in. And the other countries do certain things that America doesn't do. Now, America, because it is the most powerful military in the world, does a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, you know, you, you have a military operation, and America will do the troop lifting, for instance. Or it'll do, you know, many of those kinds of things. But many of the other countries, whether but it's in Afghanistan or elsewhere, pick up a huge lot of the burden as well. Man, I mean, can you really comment on this bitch? You know, uh, yeah, we're we're loaded, man. We're loaded. I mean, you know, nineteen twenty-one trillion dollar budget deficit. Never mind outstanding liabilities. Yeah, we're rich. We can just dig in and pay for more. Pay for more of their friends and more and and you know an agenda that suits them more. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, and it's apples and oranges. Oh, well, I mean, they're integrated. First she says, they're integrated. Then she says, well, that terrorism was homegrown, but they're integrated. Oh, uh, I, what do you start with this? You know, and then again with the NATO. And NATO is a foundation of for us. You know, in other words, you know, uh, NATO dictates to us. No, our Constitution is our foundation. Our strength is not NATO. It's in our, our people, in our country. It's called na our nationalism. That's where our strength is. Anyway, that, my friends, is what a strong alpha male brings to the table it is an easy-to-understand message they're ripping us off that is not rejected but embraced by the masses on an established platform, the political platform, a, a platform the media can no longer ignore, ignore nor manipulate, a platform that we have let our enemies dominate, and the only platform that can actually achieve results, and that is the political platform, and that is the Trump effect. So let's be clear, this, is, this isn't just about Trump, it's about us. Okay, Don't fight the power, become the power. Power through discipline. Then just win, baby, just win. But what do I know? I'm just a guy from Jersey with a GED. Anyway, I'll leave you with a small compilation of some sound clips from Donald Trump. And... Uh, not because our detr our detractors insist I am a I'm a Trump fanboy, but it is the incredible communication of his message. He talks to the people, not down to them, simplifies it all with confidence, leadership, and understands who he's communicating with. Busy, hardworking Americans trying to keep their heads above water rather than getting buried in all the minutia. He puts it all down to the bread and butter issues nationalism in the bread and butter issues and when we strip away all the philosophical flowers and unicorns that is what it all comes down to thank you whoa that is some group of people thousands so nice thank you very much that's really nice thank you it's great to be at trump tower it's great to be in a wonderful city new york and it's an honor to have everybody here. This is beyond anybody's expectations. There's been no crowd like this.
And I can tell you, some of the candidates they went in, they didn't know the air conditioner didn't work. They sweated like dogs. They didn't know the room was too big because they didn't have anybody there. How are they going to beat ISIS? I don't think it's going to happen. Our country is in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. When was the last time anybody saw us beating, let's say, China in a trade deal? They kill us. I beat China all the time. All the time. When did we beat Japan at anything? They send their cars over by the millions. And what do we do? When was the last time you saw a Chevrolet in Tokyo? It doesn't exist, folks. They beat us all the time. When do we beat Mexico at the border? They're laughing at us, at our stupidity. And now they're beating us economically. They are not our friend, believe me. But they're killing us economically. The U.S. has become a dumping ground for everybody else's problems. <laughs> Thank you. It's true. And these are the best and the finest. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. They're sending us not the right people. It's coming from more than Mexico. It's coming from all over South and Latin America, and it's coming probably, probably from the Middle East. But we don't know, because we have no protection and we have no competence. We don't know what's happening. And it's got to stop. And it's got to stop fast. Think of it. Iran is taking over Iraq. And they're taking it over big league. We spent $2 trillion in Iraq. Two trillion. We lost thousands of lives, thousands in Iraq. We have wounded soldiers who I love. I love. They're great. All over the place. Thousands and thousands of wounded soldiers. And we have nothing. We can't even go there. We have nothing. And every time we give Iraq equipment, the first time a bullet goes off in the air, they leave it. Last week, I read 2,300 Humvees. These are big vehicles were left behind for the enemy. 2,000, you would say maybe two, maybe four? 2,300 sophisticated vehicles they ran, and the enemy took them. You're right. Last quarter, it was just announced, our gross domestic product, a sign of 
strength, right? But not for us. It was below zero. Who ever heard of this? It's never below zero. Our labor participation rate was the worst since 1978. But think of it, GDP below zero. Horrible labor participation rate. And our real unemployment is anywhere from 18 to 20 percent. Don't believe the 5.6. Don't believe it. That's right, a lot of people up there can't get jobs. They can't get jobs, because there are no jobs. Because China has our jobs, and Mexico has our jobs. They all have our jobs. But the real number, the real number, is anywhere from 18 to 19, and maybe even 21 percent. And nobody talks about it, because it's a statistic that's full of nonsense. Our enemies are getting stronger and stronger by the day, and we as a country are getting weaker. Even our nuclear arsenal doesn't work. It came out recently. They have equipment that's 30 years old. They don't even know if it worked. And I thought it was horrible when it was broadcast on television, because, boy, does that send signals to Putin and all of the other people that look at us and they say, that is a group of people, and that is a nation that truly has no clue. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. We have a disaster called the big lie, Obamacare. Obamacare. Yesterday it came out that costs are going for people up 29, 39, 49, and even 55 percent. And deductibles are through the roof. You have to get hit by a tractor, literally a tractor, to use it. Because the deductibles are so high, it's virtually useless. It is a disaster. And remember the $5 billion website. Five billion, we spent on a website. And to this day, it doesn't work. A five billion dollar website. I have so many websites, I have them all over the place. I hire people, they do a website. It costs me three dollars. Five billion dollar website. Well, you need somebody, because politicians are all talk, no action. Nothing's going to get done. They will not bring us, believe me, to the promised land. They will not. As an example, I've been on the circuit making speeches, and I hear my fellow Republicans, and they're wonderful people. I like them. They all want me to support them. They don't know how to bring it about. They come up to my office. I, I'm meeting with three of them in the next week, and they don't know. Are you running? Are you not running? Could we have your support? What do we do? How do we do it? I like them. And I hear their speeches. And they don't talk jobs, and they don't talk China. When was the last time you heard, China's killing us? They're devaluing their currency to a level that you wouldn't believe it makes it 
impossible for our companies to compete. Impossible. They're killing us. But you don't hear that from anybody else. You don't hear it from anybody else. And I watched the speeches. <laughs> Thank you. I watched the speeches of these people, and they say, the sun will rise, the moon will set, all sorts of wonderful things will happen. Over and people are saying, what's going on? I just want a job. Just get me a job. I don't need the rhetoric. I want a job. And that's what's happening. And it's going to get worse, because remember, Obamacare really kicks in in 16, 2016. Obama is going to be out playing golf. He might even be on one of my courses. I would invite him. I actually would say. I have the best courses in the world, so I'd say, you know what, if he wants to see, I have one right next to the White House, right on the Potomac. If he'd like to play, that's fine. In fact, I'd love him to leave early and play. That would be a very good thing. So, I've watched the politicians. I've dealt with them all my life. If you can't make a good deal with a politician, then there's something wrong with you. You're certainly not very good. And that's what we have representing us. They will never make America great again. They don't even have a chance. They're controlled fully. They're controlled fully by the lobbyists, by the donors, and by the special interests, fully. That's, they control them. Hey, I have lobbyists, I have to tell you. I have lobbyists that can produce anything for me. They're great. But you know what? It won't happen. It won't happen. Because we have to stop doing things for some people, but for this country, it's destroying our country. We have to stop, and it has to stop now. Now, our country needs, our country needs a truly great leader. And we need a truly great leader now. We need a leader that wrote the art of the deal. We need a leader that can bring back our jobs, can bring back our manufacturing, can bring back our military, can take care of our vets. Our vets have been abandoned. And we also need a cheerleader. You know, when President Obama was elected, I said, well, the one thing I think he'll do well, I think he'll be a great cheerleader for the country. I think he'd be a great spirit. He was vibrant. He was young. I really thought that he would be a great cheerleader. He's not a leader. That's true. You're right about that. But he wasn't a cheerleader. He's actually a negative force. He's been a negative force. He wasn't a cheerleader. He was the opposite. We need somebody that can take the brand of the United States and make it great again. It's not great again. We need, we need somebody, we need somebody 
that literally will take this country and make it great again. We can do that. And I will tell you, I love my life. I have a wonderful family. They're saying, Dad, you're going to do something that's going to be so tough. You know, all of my life, I've heard that a truly successful person, a really, really successful person, and even modestly successful, cannot run for public office. Just can't happen. And yet, that's the kind of mindset that you need to make this country great again. So, ladies and gentlemen, I am officially running for President of the United States, and we are going to make our country great again.